Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. That's my lovely bride. I think we just have her keep going. Amen. Man. I think she read half of her prayer for you this morning, so she was ready. She was prepared just to keep going. That's the, just such a blessing. Um, well, my name is Jason. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I get the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at City Light Southwest Iowa. And it, man, it's just so good to gather with you to worship a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 24. So go ahead and flip there. How's everyone doing this morning? Are we doing well? You doing good? You sure? Okay. We're doing, well, I'm doing great. I'm excited to worship with you. Like, I'm never going to take that for granted again. So it's just such a joy. This morning, we're going to unpack Psalm 24. And my hope is as we open up Psalm 24, what we see is that there is an invitation into a story of victory. Uh, as students of the Bible, I would encourage you to go back and read Psalm 22. And we see in Psalm 23, we see a suffering servant. So we see Jesus as a suffering servant. In Psalm 23, we see the story of a good shepherd, or Jesus as the good shepherd. In Psalm 24, we see Jesus as a victorious king. And so this morning, my hope is, is that we see an invitation into a story of victory. As I was praying about what psalm and what message, what theme, it just impressed upon my heart to have a message of encouragement, a message of hope, a message of victory. A lot of us around here, some of you guys have lived here for a long time. I've lived here for about seven years now. And in that short time, what I have come to learn, that Southwest Iowa kind of has, uh, I don't say kind of, but not everyone, but there's kind of this pessimism in which a lot of people live, a depression or a weight that a lot of people live under. What I have learned is that people in Southwest Iowa, to be hopeful is to be hurt. And so instead of being hopeful, we tend to just almost be pessimistic in some sense, and what I've been encouraged by in the church is that we've begun to be hopeful. Because to be hopeful is to be courageous. And my hope is, is that as we hope in Jesus and experience his victory, then that hope will go out to the community around us. And those who have been hurt, those who are under the weight of oppression, will then feel that lifted. So my hope this morning is that you would live a life of victory, Okay. That's my hope. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that you guys are going to go off to battle and you're going to conquer. Think of it in an emotional sense. When we think of victory in an emotional sense, we think of from depression to joy. That's victory. When we think of uh, victory in a physical sense, we think of freedom. Or when we think of uh, victory in a spiritual sense, what we're talking about is salvation. And so there is a life for us of victory very practically, of hope and of joy. And that's my hope for us. We live in a, in a culture and in a time where there's a lot of brokenness, and there's a lot of reason to be pessimistic. It takes a courageous person to say, I'm going to be hopeful because Jesus has won a victory for me. All right, so open up to Psalm 24. As some of you guys are reading this, we're probably naturally thinking, well, how do you do this, right? How do we do this? So Psalm 24 was written... By David. I want to read verses 1 and 2 here, and then we'll begin to unpack it. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it 
upon the rivers. So let's set the context here a little bit. Here's David. He's writing this after having returned from a battle, like a physical battle. They won a war, and now he's coming back. And God has created David to be a warrior. Excuse me. He's created him as an artist, but asked him to be a warrior and a king. And here he is expressing his affection for his God, and he says that God is the creator. God is the source of all good, that God alone created this world. Now, this is a substantial statement because if we want to live a life of victory, we have to acknowledge that all good comes from God. Now, this seems easy for some of us sitting here, right? We believe that there's a God. We believe there's a creator. But this is a huge hurdle for most people. Christianity is the only religion that allows God to stay enthroned, You see, we believe in a doctrine called grace. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is a humbling doctrine because salvation puts you and me in a position of need of somebody other than ourself. Men, that hurts, doesn't it? Right? Like if you're not strong enough to turn the lug nut, I mean, you got to ask for help. Like that's that's hard. Some of you guys think, oh, no, that's fine. Trust me. Have your wife standing there, and some other guy just comes. Like, you can't open the can, the jar. Like, that's embarrassing. For men to ask, that's hard. Grace is humbling. And so here is David. He's saying that everything in the world was created by God. All good comes from God. So Christianity has this doctrine of grace. And the reason why this is a challenge for a lot of us, or for some people, is because every other religion allows the individual to stay enthroned as their own God. You see, if you can stay enthroned, then you can work out your salvation. Christianity is the only one that says salvation is by grace. Every other religion allows works to save. Works can only be done by God if works can influence eternity. It can only be done by God. Think of it like this. God has created this world in such a way that we live within the confines of his creative order. Imagine if I were to say, I don't believe in food anymore. Like, I'm done with it. I'm just, I'm tired of going to the store. I don't want to wear a mask. It's too expensive. The food isn't as good as it used to be. And so I'm just, I'm done with it. I don't believe in food anymore. Right? Well, I mean, what's going to happen after a few days? I'm going to believe in food again, probably, right? It's not going to take long for me to say, I believe in food. God has created me in such a way that I live within the confines of his creation. I can impact the temporary in some sense. But to say that I somehow can work to influence the eternal is to put myself in the position of God. Only God can influence eternity. And here David is saying that God is the creator, not me. Now, when we hear this, I don't think sometimes we understand the rub when we share the gospel with people, because what we are essentially doing is dethroning someone from their position, and we're saying that God is God, and you need him. That's a hard leap for people to make. That's a natural hindrance to people accepting the gospel, and you can't necessarily blame people for wanting to influence their situation for the better, right? Like, if I can make my situation better, like, I want to do that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But when I think about my eternal reality and I want to influence for the better, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But the reality is I'm dependent upon a God to do that for me. And that is humbling. See, David presses into this. Let's read verse 3. We see where he says, 
Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? So David is recognizing the majesty and the glory of God and his position before that God, and he's saying, who? Who can come before God? David is recognizing that nobody can. As I read this, as I, would just, I couldn't get Revelation chapter 5 out of my mind, I want to read Revelation 5, verses 2 through 4. It says this, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? So here's this heavenly scene. We have John who wrote Revelation. He's seeing it, and he's seeing the book of life. He's seeing these scrolls, and he's saying, Who can open it, right? There's no one worthy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's seeing this, and verse 3 continues, And no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Do you feel the weight of that text, the, the humbleness of that? So here's David returning from a victory of God's goodness, and he's feeling the weight of who he is next to who God is. But there's good news. We continue. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And here's the good news in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. You see that, church? Jesus has conquered our greatest enemy, sin and death, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so we have hope, not because you or I have done something, but because God has done something for us. Our position before that God is humility. And humility is difficult, right? I don't do humility well. Some of you guys might. I don't. So here's David celebrating what God has done, and he's saying, who is worthy? And he continues in verse 4, and he says, who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully? So he's saying, who can come before God? And he's essentially saying, why we can't. In Matthew chapter 5, there is a teaching from Jesus. Some of you guys are familiar with it, where he goes and he says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Then he gets to 5.8 and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. You guys remember that? Some of you? One of you? Nobody? We need to teach that. We'll teach it. That's next week. One of you. When you read that, as I read that, and I'm seeing that mark, I'm thinking, uh-oh. I, I don't, bless, and he gets to blessed are the pure in heart. Like, I, that's not me. I don't, I don't measure up to that. Like, that, I have revenge in my heart. I, like, I would, I mean, there's times where I, I wouldn't care if bad things happened to my enemies. And I know that that's not what Jesus wants for me. I don't have a pure heart. And so when he's saying blessed are the pure in heart, there's a check within us that should say, that's not us. If we're honest, that's not us. As much as we want to have a purity of heart, we simply don't because of sin and because of brokenness. So we simply don't measure up. But that's not where the story ends. That's not where Jesus leaves us. That's the beauty of it. And here's what David said as we continue to read here. Look at this, church, because it begins to get good here. He says, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So who can come before God? Here's David. He, he hoped in God. He, he loved God. He was trusting in God's salvation. And those who have trusted in the truth will experience victory. So we see something incredibly compelling that I want you to recognize is that victory comes through truth. 
See, a lot of us don't experience the joy that Jesus has for us. We're under the bondage and the weight. We believe the lie that we are a product of our actions. We allow sin to shame us. We allow something to enslave us to yesterday. And time and time again, that something beats us down because we believe a lie that Jesus hasn't set us free. The truth is that in Jesus, there's a blessing for you, church. The truth is, in Jesus, there's salvation for you. The truth is that you're not God, but you don't have to be because there's a God who loves you. There's a God who's worked on your behalf. There is a God who has fought the battle for you, church. That's the truth. And so we say, how can we have a life of hope? How can we have a life of victory? It's to believe the truth that there is a creator, that that creator is good. It's to believe the truth that we have sinned and that we are humbled in that status, but fortunately, by God's grace, he has set us free. Do, do we see that? Think about the emotions of this day. You, your loved ones just went off to war, or maybe you're one of the ones that are coming back. And here's David as a king. He's led men into battle. He's made a decision that to protect his people, he has to fight this war, that people will die to protect those who are back there. And he's coming back as a warrior, as a king, and he pens this song to express his love and affection for God. Imagine the celebration that's welling up within him that they get to live freely. Look what he says. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Verse 7. I want you to see this, church. Lift up your heads, O gates. I just want to pause here and look for a second because a lot of us are like, I don't know what that means. That's kind of confusing. Lift up your heads, O gates. I'm not a gate. What he's doing is he's personifying the gates. So he's essentially saying to you and me, keep your chin up. Lift up your head. You, you've won the, Jesus has won the battle. Like, lift up your spirit. Lift up your head. And he continues, and be lifted up. Do you see that passive reality, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in? Church, that is incredible. The king of glory desires to be a part of your life. Now, really, the illusion is that it's your life. It's his. He created it. He's simply allowing you to live it. But nonetheless, there's this invitation for us to experience the glory of God in community with him. We simply just have to trust that that's the reality. And so there's this question, this give and take. In verse 8, he says, Who is the king of glory? I want you to look at this, church. It says, The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. I want those words to fall upon your heart and mind right here, right now, because a lot of you guys, if you're honest, you're worn out. You're fighting a battle that's not yours. You're not God. You'll never be God. Fortunately, that's not the case. The weight doesn't fall upon us. The battle isn't ours to fight. It's Jesus's. We simply have to trust that it's his. We essentially need to quit trying to be our own God and to work out our salvation, uh, earn our salvation, to try to, we, we want to mature. And so there is actually a scripture verse that says work out your salvation. So that's important that we never say something against scripture. But that's kind of what happens sometimes when you speak publicly is you put your foot in your mouth, even just temporarily. Anybody ever done it before? No? No, just me. I'm by myself. I'm done. I'm leaving. You guys need Jesus. <laughs> We, we have this incredible reality here where we get to be in community with God. We simply just have to trust and believe and say, God, you have fought the battle. You are strong and mighty. There's nothing 
that is too heavy of a load for him to pick up or carry. There is no sin that's too great for him to forgive. There is nothing that can stand against the God who has created the world. We simply have to trust in that. And so my hope for us is that we believe the truth that Jesus has set us free, not the lie that sin has enslaved us. The truth is, church, that God is strong and mighty and that Jesus has defeated our greatest enemy, sin and death, once and for all. That war has already been waged. Like We can live in the joy of his victory, and like David, we can celebrate what God has done. He continues in verse 9, Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is our invitation. Can you imagine being David and winning a war? You went off with the reality that you could die today. You put it all on the line, and here you are coming back, acknowledging that God won the battle for you. That fear that David might have felt, probably surely felt, is the same fear we feel when we give God that which we hold most dear. And sometimes that's the shame, and we simply don't want to be hurt again. And so we say, here, God, have this. My hope for us is practically we can trust in the nature and character of God, and we can experience a life of victory. And so really practically, like what are the takeaways as we we read this? The first takeaway I would say is this. God has created you uniquely. He asked David to be a warrior. He asked David to be a king, but that wasn't who David was. David was a child of God who loved him. David expressed that affection through artistry. He wrote poems and songs. God has created each of you uniquely in such a way that that's how you're going to grow in that affection with him. Some of you are artists, paint. Some of you are singers, write songs. Some of you are craftsmen, craft. God has created each of us uniquely. And so if we can anchor our lives in God's creation, the way God has created us, we can have a sense of victory. For David, it was writing. For me, honestly, it's working with my hands. It allows me to just calm my mind and just focus on a simple task. That's where I feel God's community. That's why I feel a communion with God. And so I just want you guys to ask, how, how did God create you? And what's the gifting God has for you? Because what sin and shame does is it conceals and hides who you really are. And what God's grace does is he brings that out. So my hope for you is that you would anchor your life in how God has created you. And that's obviously to be in community with Jesus Christ. Right? The second pathway that I would hope for you is this, that you would believe in the truth that Jesus has set you free. And not the lie that somehow you're continually enslaved. Now here's for those of you here that like, man, I'm good. Like I'm, I feel the freedom. I feel the joy. My hope for you as you're listening this morning is that your neighbor next to you probably doesn't. And you need to know what words you can say to them to help set them free. It always comes back to Jesus Christ. It always comes back to salvation through Jesus Christ. David saw that. God created the world. He sent his son to die a death. It doesn't matter what the bondage or enslavement is. The freedom is always through Jesus Christ. That is the truth. Church, Jesus has fought to set you free. So live freely. Jesus has fought and won the battle, church. So live victoriously. 
The weight of sin and shame doesn't have to be the thing that we carry. We can live with a sense of joy, a sense of purpose. We can say God is a creative God who has called us to live creatively in this world and enjoy it. Think about the brokenness that's happening in our community right now. All around right now, people are asking, what is good? Who's going to answer that question? It has to be us, church. It has to be us. So my hope this morning, before you go, as you go, is you can say, man, Jesus has fought the battle for me, and I'm going to live victoriously. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you, I thank you that you are a strong and mighty God. And that might sound weird, but Lord, I, I fell as a husband, I fell as a father. There's just so many mistakes, Lord, that I make, and I feel like at times that those mistakes define who I am. So I pray right here, right now, Lord, that we would feel the grace of your forgiveness, that we'd feel the power of your salvation, that we would feel the presence of the Holy Spirit setting us free, that our hearts are being transformed. Lord, I do pray that we could trust that someday we will be righteous, someday we will have pure hearts, but as we work today, as we experience your grace today, Lord, I ask that you would be patient with us. That you could let us know, Lord, it's not about being perfect, but rather it's about loving you and pursuing you. That you could let us know that the Holy Spirit is a gift. That you have promised us that you desire to bless us. Lord, I pray for those right now who are, who are struggling. I ask that they could confidently come before you and say, Lord, would you fight this battle for me? Lord, I pray for those who aren't struggling. I pray that when the struggles come, that they would say that God, that Jesus loves me. They would trust in the truth that you've set them free. Lord, just real practically, I ask that people here would know that they are your son and your daughter, and you love them and you care for them. Lord, I just pray that we could be a church that's defined by the joy and the purpose and the victory in Jesus Christ. That a community would look at us and say, man, they are different. What is it about them? And we could say it's because we love Jesus. Lord, would we experience goodness of life, really practically? Could we experience victory? Could we be the people who point to you in a meaningful way? And so, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be present. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.